irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza, right here on LA Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Answers for the Family. I'm your host, Alan Cardoza, and every Monday from 11 a.m. to noon Pacific Time, I will bring you special guests that can inspire, educate, and in some cases entertain while bringing answers and options to raising children today and in our constantly changing future. Answers for the Family will address issues such as locating a runaway teen, family crisis intervention, building self-esteem, dealing with addictions, and so much more. Now, every day in every coffee shop or fitness center or gathering place around the world, you can hear people discussing their lives, looking for inspiration, and solutions to tackle the everyday challenges, wanting to find ways to live life more fully, with more energy, and with greater success. Well, our topic today is also the title of our guest's new book, Mountain Mantras, Wellness and Life Lessons from the Slopes. As the founder and executive director of Nurture, our guest, Catherine Kemp Guilet, provides free nutrition and wellness education and services to many families. As a principal of Healthy Solutions of Sun Valley, Catherine brings wellness solutions to organizations and corporations through speaking engagements and workshops, as well as hosting her own bi-weekly radio show on wellness topics that stream live across the globe. Catherine is a board member, mentor, and or avid supporter of numerous organizations, including the Hunger Coalition, Ketchum Innovative Center, Jamie Oliver, Food Revolution, and the Center for Science in the Public Interest. She earned her bachelor's degree from Emory University and an MBA from the University of Texas at Austin. In addition, she obtained her certification in nutritional counseling from Trinity College and is certified in corporate wellness from the Wellness Council of America. Last but not least, Catherine is the co-creator of the children's book, Give It a Go, Eat a Rainbow, in collaboration with professional food photographer Paulette Philpott. Catherine, welcome to Answers for the Family. Thank you so much, Alan. It's a pleasure to be on your show today. Well, I am... I am so excited to have you on because one of the things, and as I was as I was uh, reading the book and as I was checking out things on your website, I found myself synergizing so much with with the things that you're doing, with the uh, the the mantras that you've put together, because I think that that you're really touching on something that's hitting many of us, you know, throughout society, where you know we are we're out there we're I use the term spinning a lot of pie plates, and you certainly are spinning a lot of them. And, and sometimes I think we're kind of getting away from some of the basic things that we need to do to keep our life balanced. So thank you for, for putting this together. 
Oh, well, I'm, so, I'm always so excited to hear when people are connecting with what I'm doing. I think, you know, you were talking before about inspiration and education and entertainment. You know, I think those are really important components for being able to allow others to lead the best lives that they can lead. And so we're in this together. Yeah, and you bring up a good point when you mentioned all of those because one of the great things about your book is it's also entertaining. There are lots of books out there that, that are classified you know, self-help, and, and although they may have great information, sometimes it, it, it's not necessarily uh, as entertaining, and that's one of the things that I was really grasping from this is, is that you, know, you tell a lot of personal stories, uh, you put a lot of things back on yourself, but you also make it, at least from my standpoint, very entertaining as well. Oh, and I'm so glad to hear that. And I do think it's really important when you're talking about connecting with and inspiring others, you, you have to be able to bring yourself down from some perceived pedestal, meaning, you know, I've, I've met with so many leaders in the wellness field and leadership, and a lot of times it seems like what they're doing is so close to perfection that I kind of say, eh, there's no way I'm even going to try. <laughs> um, and so I like to give up on the idea of, of perfect, right? In fact, yes. let's just take it out of our vocabulary because I think it makes it almost too difficult to even start because it is impossible to be perfect. And so let's just start with some baby steps, with some simple ideas, and sooner or later you're feeling great, you're on the right track, and success leads to success. Yep, and and I'm looking forward to, I, I, I know that you also do seminars, and I'm looking forward to going to one of your seminars, uh, and I was thinking about it, that there are seminars that I have gone to, to where I feel like this person that is, uh, that is speaking, is speaking with us, is, is blending with us, is merging with us. Uh, and that's the way that I felt with, with your book. You know, I got that feeling. I didn't feel that it was somebody that was sitting, as you said, kind of up on a pedestal that was speaking at us. And, and I think that's one of the great feelings that I got from the book. And, and I think that I would also get from the seminar. You know, it's so true about the speaking engagements and workshops that I give. And I just gave one in Chicago. We were in Chicago for the Thanksgiving holiday, and I gave a book talk at a local bookstore that has a really nice setting. It's called um, The Bookstall in Chestnut Court in Winneka. And my dad came, and you can imagine, you know, there are certain people in our lives where they're, they're our toughest audience, right? And so yeah. my dad has always been someone has, who has been up on a path to me and PhD in biochemistry from Yale and just always has the right answer. So he was in the audience, so it was kind of like, oh boy, this is going to be a, a tougher one. But what was so fun about it is I never, I don't have canned presentations and I, I know my frameworks in terms of some of the things that I want to talk about, but every conversation is different. And so I just started off and I looked around the audience and I asked what people really wanted to leave with, like what would be a really great great nugget or two or three that they would be excited to take home with them. And then we just flowed. And, you know, I talked to my dad afterwards and he said, it was smooth. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was, and, and part of it was that it, it, was, it was truly from the heart. It wasn't this can thing. I was really looking around the room and, and figuring out what I thought these 
people needed to hear. And it wasn't just me. It was I was kind of getting this group energy and kind of I'm a big person on mindfulness and meditation. And before the talk, I said, you know, Spirit, God, Goddess, all that is, universe, whatever word you want to use, help guide me to, to be a vessel to which I can reach the most people today. And that's really the way I look at my work. Well, it shows. It definitely shows in the book. And, and, and when you mentioned about your dad and what his comment was, I had a little tingle on the back of my neck because my dad was also uh, a man of few words. And, and he wouldn't use, you know, 30 words when four would suffice. And it sounds like your dad's the same way. Yes, yes. We all have those people in our lives that, you know, that, it, that inspire us. And he's in the book, and he was the one that told me, write it down. <laughs> When I was talking about my vision and my ideas and my goals, write it down. Well, it's very wise. Now, let's talk a little bit about the book. Another thing that I like was the fact that it, it was you know, broken down in, well, you know, six mantras. So, with the six mantras, you know, that, that are set up to guide everyday decisions, did you find that uh, was one of these any easier than the other for you personally? Oh, you know, that's such a great question. I think it changes from day to day. And, you know, I think, you know, I I look at the beginning and the end of the book as being really, really critical moments in the book. And so the first mantra is about positive psychology. It's called Change Your Lens on Life. And I think that that is probably the most powerful one, meaning if you do all the other things in the book, but yet you approach it with a negative attitude or with a, I just can't do it kind of a, you know, standpoint, then nothing is going to be as powerful as if you start out with that positive intention and that positive attitude. So I think that's the most powerful. I would say, you know, and I'll just use my, I skied for the last three days. So we were out of town in Chicago, but the mountain here at, you know, at Sun Valley, Bald Mountain opened on Thanksgiving Day. We skied um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And what I found to be one of the hardest, but yet the most high impact mantras for me was throw yourself down the mountain. Man, it was a little slick, a little firm, a little icy, and I kind of wanted to hold back and protect myself. But I, I just kept saying to myself, throw yourself down the mountain. And what I'm doing, and again, this is all related to other areas of our lives, is you're just making a commitment. You're fully engaging. I think when we um, just give a little of ourselves and hold back, we do a, a disservice to ourselves, but mostly to others. We're not getting the most out of life unless we're fully committing. Yeah, and, and, and I agree completely. And and when you make that analogy, and if for anybody listening out there, uh, and again, when you read the book, you will understand that, you know, the analogy is to be fully committed to something, you know, that you can do. It isn't throw yourself down the mountain if you've never done it before, you know. <laughs> you know, it's right. not... It's not something that is, you know, you know, it's it's like anything else. It's something that you learn and something that you move forward. But as you learn it and as you move forward, keep going, keep pushing, keep making sure that you are giving your all. And that's what I got from the book. And so would you agree that that's that's kind of the message you're trying to put out there? 
Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, with the bookends, you know, that last one is throw yourself down the mountain, but it does assume that you have put that positive attitude in place, just the foundation, you've set your vision, you're working on your goals, and you've learned from your mistakes, and you're continuing to learn from your mistakes. So once you have all those things in place, then it's time to throw yourself down the mountain. It's not about being risky or... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um... Now, let's talk a little bit about, about you and sort of how you got to this point. Um, now, in, in your, you know, your story revolves much around you. You're moving your family, you know, to Sun Valley from Chicago. You know, it's set to sort of slow down. Um, but yet your book shows that you seem to quickly have jumped into a lot of new projects. Um, and this was one of the things that, that really resonated with me because... Again, as I said, I'm spinning a lot of pie plates, and I'm and I'm looking to to slow some things down. But what I got from that was was that you know maybe wherever it is that I go, that's just the way that I'm going to be. So, do you feel that it balanced you more, or you know what did it what did it change in you? It's such a good point. Uh, this whole idea of slowing down. Uh, I was giving a talk before we went to Chicago. I gave a talk for Wild Gift, which is an organization that brings fellows, so fo- folks that they're supporting, they bring fellows out into the backcountry for mentorship, for experience, but also to unplug, to slow down, to kind of have a chance to get away from the to-do lists and kind of think about some more big-picture strategic uh, questions. So the talk that I gave, and again, it wasn't a canned thing. I was kind of moving with the audience's energy. It was about lessons from nature. And they wanted me to talk through a couple of the mantras in the book, but what I actually started with is a mantra that you just mentioned that isn't necessarily in your face. It's not explicitly a mantra, but it's definitely part of the story, and that is the need to slow down. And I said that is a lesson I think we do learn from nature, whether it's from the mountains or the ocean or the blue sky or the fresh air. I don't think you need to be in a teeny tiny mountain uh, town in order to get that um, lesson. However, it is work in progress. And you're right. You know, you can move to a teeny tiny little town and be the busiest person there. And maybe you're even busier than somebody in New York City. So I think wherever you go, there you are, and I think that change needs to come from the inside out. So in our case, yes, there is this idea of moving and almost like this Thoreau-like reflection of moving to a smaller, much more quieter place, but there's also this inward-out puzzle that I'm always working on. So don't think I've nailed it. I I still have to slow down. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Um, so, so that sort of gives us an idea as to how you know how, how you have dealt with it. How did the kids adjust to this? You know, this that's a huge move to go from the size of, of Chicago to a very small town in the mountains. Um, in you know, how did they adjust to it, and and how do they look at it now versus then? 
Yeah, and this is great for the show topic being answers for the family because I think in general we always talk about kids being like sponges, meaning they absorb things and they're more open. And we as parents have such an incredible opportunity when they are younger to really start on the right foot, whether that be you know the way we feed them and the palate that we're developing with them um, versus the kinds of activities that we're doing. We basically just have much more control, you know, over our kids and their environments when they're younger, and then we have to let them go as they get older. And so that's really been what's happened with our family. My daughter, who when we moved here was only a fifth grader, she was was in elementary school, she was kind of doing what mom and dad were doing, and she was excited for the trip and really very open. I, I would say if we look back to my kids when they were in third grade with my son, he's younger, and my daughter who was in fifth, they were very open to change, open to adventure. I think now it would be much more difficult to make that change. My daughter's 14 and 14 and a half, which is important because you can actually get your driver's permit here in Idaho when you're that age. So she's much more independent. She's much more set in her ways and her schedule. And so um, they really have um, just adapted beautifully. But I think we pick that right window of time, which is when they were a little bit younger. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, once they're once they're in high school and they they are starting to cement some of those friendships and stuff, that's probably got to be a lot more difficult to break away from. Yes, and it's not to say that you can't for sure. I mean, I think you know, I think kids, like I said, are very open to things, and they remain. You know, they're kids for a while, and so, you know, when all adults are just just kids inside, a little bit grown up, right? So I just think that there is this wonderful opportunity when we have kids to really kind of um, take advantage of that openness and that ability to just be very fluid and and adapt. And so that's really our kids um, having started out in elementary school here, they they embrace nature, they're very independent, um, it's a relatively very safe community, so, you know, my son's out on his bike and kind of gets himself here and there, and now, now we trust him on the mountain, and it's, it's been really great, but again, I think if you're a listener in another part of the country, you can create a microclimate that's similar, so we don't all have to move to a small mountain town. <laughs> right. Now, I, I, I noticed that nutrition forms a foundation that, that accompanies pretty much all the advice that you, that you discuss in the book. So tell us a little bit about how your interest in nutrition developed. Oh, I've been interested in nutrition. I talked about my dad earlier. It's really, I think, because of him. I kind of grew up in the halls of the Chicago Medical School where my dad taught. And it's interesting, he actually taught nutrition to doctors. So he taught in a very medical way. And it's interesting because now we can have um, debates at the dinner table about nutrition because I come from a very, um, you know, sort of holistic, um, fun, you know, layman's point of view, and he's from a you know medical doctor, biochemist point of view. But um, those conversations, you know, interacting with other scientists and doctors as a kid, just got me interested. And I under I, I could see as a kid the relationship between what we ate and how we felt. And I mean, I think that's another thing about kids is they're very much in touch with their bodies. And so if we're talking about food as fuel. 
And energy is a buzzword that kids love, and, we, and kids want energy, just like adults want energy. So we talk about the foods that give you energy, long-lasting energy. So those are what we call the go foods, and I talk about those in the book. Uh, so my dad really was helping me to develop this love of nutrition throughout my life. Our, our dinner table conversations included things like what macronutrients are present and micronutrients and so on. So it really started young. Um, but that didn't really develop fully until I decided to leave the world of management consulting when I, when I had my own kids and said, you know what, I am now responsible for feeding two young children, and it's, it's actually a, a, quite an overwhelming task. So I, I, I started out with the idea of just getting more knowledgeable myself and then found this new career um, in nutrition counseling. Well, um, going along that, that line, which is nutrition, we have a listener question uh, that I think really touches on, you know, on the changes that we're now seeing. This one reads, our PTA has recently evaluated the GMO-free issue, and I have to say I am so very pleased that other parents uh, and teachers in our school are doing their homework on the issue. We are hoping to pattern ourselves after the Sausalito Marin City School District that announced in August that this year, that, that announced, I'm sorry, in August of this year, that uh, that they have started serving only organic and GMO-free meals to students. What is your position on this topic uh, and uh, and what our public schools have been feeding our kids? Oh, gosh. Okay, so first I'll start with what public schools have been feeding our kids. I'm appalled, frankly, by the school lunch program across the country, and I'm a huge fan of what Michelle Obama is, is doing by just taking it on. Um, by getting rid of the pyramid, for starters, hallelujah. I am so glad not to have to teach that ever again. Uh, it was so confusing, and, and kids do see that. That's what's on you know, the walls with that terrible pyramid that nobody understood. And if they did understood that you know, the earlier version had that base of carbohydrates and it was processed carbohydrates, that might be the root cause of diabetes. So really, I'm very excited about my plate, which is what Michelle Obama has put together, even more excited about Harvard's healthy plate, which takes the milk out and puts water in, because I think really we need to be obviously pushing calcium foods, but we don't have to say it has to be in the form of milk. We need our calcium, but we don't have to have it in milk. Water is the top choice according to Harvard's Healthy Plate. And Harvard's Healthy Plate also has healthy oils, and they really ask that grains be whole. And so um, moving on to the idea of organic and GMO, I think the root issue there is that we all understand what our food it consists of, meaning where it, came, where it comes from mm-hmm. and what's in it. And I think that, that uh, what we're missing in the school system is we are missing a comprehensive education program that is fun, that is engaging, and that is empowering to kids because what we really need to do with our kids is instead of just saying, don't eat that, don't eat that, but yes, eat this, is we need to educate and inform them and then empower them to make a choice. Because ultimately, that's what we're doing as educators and as parents is we're preparing them to go out into the, you know, the big wide world <laughs> and make their own choices. So we need to get them making choices when they're little. 
And so the best ways to do that are to inform them about you know, things like ingredient lists, you know, keeping it to five ingredients or less, things you can pronounce, why organic is important, why organic is good for our planet, um, why certain things in, on the um, ingredients list might not be good for us. And then they start to, you know, they start to be really educated consumers. And I've seen third and fourth graders, you know, on a grocery sh- uh, trip that you can do as a field trip with school, which is a great idea, by the way, uh-huh. or go to farms and have them go through the aisles and give them a scavenger hunt or make it a game. Get, you know, they get points for certain things. And um, I have tons and tons of resources at nurtureyourfamily.org. Okay. Tons of lessons, free curricula for all ages, and really getting kids, you know, look inspecting packages. Hmm, there's a cartoon character on the front. What does that mean? <laughs> Probably the junk food. <laughs> but let's look at the back, right? And so what, what, how do I read the nutrition facts label and how do I read the ingredients? That's what I want our schools to be doing is, is to be providing that curriculum, and very few do right now. You know, I, I completely agree. Uh, and yes, I was going to say that with, um, you know, with my sons, you know, what I've initiated is like an, an 80-20 type of rule that, you know, 80% of the time we are going to eat things that are good for us. We're going to eat things, you know, that were grown, not made. And 20% of the time, do whatever you want, and then you don't feel guilty those times. I don't want you sneaking around and get something and you go, oh, you know, this is great, you know, and then feel guilty or feel like you have to do something that's bad for you. Just focus on the fact that most of the time if you do this, you're going to feel good. And one of the things that's great, and I just had this with one of my sons, is he said, well, you know, Dad, he goes, now, he goes, when I do have one of those times to where I go eat something, you know, from fast food or whatever, he goes, I don't even feel good. So, so I think, yes, the educating them and showing them and letting them figure it out, letting them feel it, feel the difference and know the difference, they're smart. They're going to figure it out. And now, you know, he, he focuses on some of the same things. He was here. He was visiting from college. Uh, for a few days and he said you know dad what kind of smoothie are you going to make what are you putting in it are you putting in spinach or kale you know uh and so on so that to me made me feel so good that not only does he get it but he's probably going to take it further than i did yes and the fact that you engaged him in how he felt and I love that 80-20. I think that's a great idea because when you forbid things, I do think it can backfire. And I have personal stories and I've worked with a lot of families where I've seen it happen where just forbidding things is, is not the right approach. But, but what you did with that, that further step is when there was that 20%, whether it was candy or fast food or, you know, coloring, you know, which can make kids very hyperactive, what you're doing, you're saying, okay, how do you feel? Maybe an hour after that huge candy binge, <laughs> just a really gentle question. So what do you think? <laughs> do you, are you feeling that sugar low? And they might go, yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. by asking them about it, um, then you're bringing it to their awareness. And you're not judging, you're just asking. Yep. Well, uh, you know what? We're going to take a break, but I am going to forbid. I'm going to forbid everybody from going away from your computer or turning the dial. What you can do, though, is if you want to open up another window, open up nurtureyourfamily.org and follow along with what we're doing. We're going to take a break. We will be right back. You're listening to Answers for the Family. 
founded over 25 years ago to meet the needs of families in crisis, West Shield specializes in resolving adolescent issues that negatively impact the family. From preteen to young adult, we are experienced and qualified to help. We offer solutions which include referrals to a network of top professionals internationally that we work very closely with in the fields of educational consulting, psychology, and psychiatry. Our in-home crisis intervention care program helps to stabilize families and bring effective resolution. We are supported by our licensed investigation company that enables us to offer legal and expert services for locating runaway teens and more. Our therapeutic transportation services help to ensure that adolescents in crisis are safely provided transportation to specialized schools and programs with unmatched experience and success. Simply put, West Shield Adolescent Services is the best solution when your family is facing personal crisis. Call 1-800-899-8585 and let us help you. And we're back. You're listening to Answers for the Family. Our guest is Catherine Kemp Guilay. And the subject is Mountain Mantras, Wellness and Life Lessons from the Slopes. And see, I just proved one of the points because when I, when I put out a forbid, I saw that a few of you did change the dial or, or ran out of the room for a minute. So, um, so it isn't a good thing to do. So um, anyway, Catherine... Um, Share with us a story from the book about how you applied your nutrition knowledge to raising your own kids. Oh, okay. There's so many stories, but I'll start with one that's early on in the book and that also connects to what we were just talking about as far as forbidding food versus uh, kind of being a little bit more playful um, and asking kids how they feel. So when my son was about counter height. So that's probably about three or four years old. Uh, He wanted to help me make a cake that we were going to bring to my dear friend's house for her birthday. And so we made this bundt cake, and we drizzled, and we melted chocolate, and we drizzled this beautiful glaze on top of the cake. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to go upstairs as it was kind of hardening. I was going to go upstairs and take a shower before we went over to our friend's house. And he went off to the playroom, which is pretty close to the kitchen. And then when I, when I came down, you know, 20-ish minutes later, you know, when you have young kids, you can shower and get ready pretty quickly. Uh, I came down the stairs, and he was standing there at the bottom of the stairs. He had huge saucer-like eyes and this huge ring of chocolate around his face. And he said, Mama, the ants came. The ants came, and they, and they ate the cake. <laughs> And I was looking at him like, oh, my gosh, this kid is so adorable, but I can't believe he just ate an entire cake, right? This is all going on in my head. And, um, and then I thought to myself, gosh, when I was a teenager, my stepmom had put jars of chocolate chips and other goodies on our counter. There were glass jars, so I could see exactly what was in there, and there were notes on them that said, do not eat, Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I had so much guilt because, of course, I stole chocolate chips from time to time, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I had so much guilt around it and so much shame. And I was thinking, you know, and I noticed this as I, as I got older and still to this day, I will admit, if I have a vice, if I have a problem food, it's chocolate chips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's because it's like, okay, you know, I was told not to eat this and so I'm going to sneak it and now I'm going to be fascinated with it and now it's going to be my vice. Um, So this was all kind of playing in the background of my head. And so I'm thinking, okay, don't yell at him. Don't shame him. 
don't make him feel guilty. Let's, you know, so I said, okay, let's go into the kitchen. So we went into the kitchen, and it was hysterical. The whole thing was, like, pockmarked. And he's like me. He likes the frosting, not the cake as much. So all the frosting was gone. Uh-huh. And I said, wow, you know, I can't believe it was interesting that the ants just like the chocolate. That's so interesting, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And so I, I, uh, I secretly called my friend and said, can we roll with this? Is this okay? And she's like, laughing. And then she said, just bring it. Don't worry about it. So she was very good-natured about it. We brought the cake over. We all were having dinner. And my son, this was about, you know, it's that usual, like, hour to hour and a half after you have a major sugar intake and he was falling off his chair like he and and there was another little boy that was his age that he normally liked to play with but he was just like sick to his stomach and you know was falling off the chair like falling asleep and I don't think he enjoyed the party and so we didn't really say anything beyond the fact that in that next you know week and ongoing because it's always a conversation in our house but we really kind of talked because the kids are always listening to you when they're that age, right? So you don't have to talk at them. Just talk between, I was just talking between my husband. Wow, you know how it works with sugar when you eat a lot of it? Then you get this sugar spike, and you might feel a little hyper. And then about an hour later, gosh, it makes you feel really tired. And then he would go, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, it's called a sugar low. So we sort of had these conversations, and believe me, he was listening. Mm-hmm. And so he he remembered that he had felt so awful. And then as he grew up, we started these conversations and continued the conversations around food. And and now he doesn't have any kind of like issues around, you know, he still likes his frosting from time to time, but you know what? He probably will eat three to five bites and be happy. It's really those first like three bites of a dessert that are so great. Yep. And then, you know, that like 10th and 12th bite, they're not really as tasty. So our kids, through these kinds of gentle conversations and educational uh, conversations, have learned these things. And so that's my story about how the ants ate the cake. <laughs> <laughs> did, he, did, did he ever uh, admit to it? Oh, my gosh, yeah. To this day, we laugh. We laugh. Yeah, I mean, now that he's older, he's 12. I mean, I think we probably started talking, you know, pretty blatant, uh, you know, bluntly about the ants eating the cake thing, you know, as we were making cakes. Oh, my gosh, remember that time when you made the entire cake frosting? And he's like, yeah, I remember that. Boy, I felt sick. You know, so, yeah, he knows his day, and he thinks it's funny. <laughs> well, and, and that's good, too, for, for him to understand that, that you knew. You know, it's, you know, it's, we don't have to call you on everything, but it doesn't mean we don't know. So, Absolutely. Like <laughs> so now, it, again, in, in the book, um, and I noticed that it offers a lot of practical advice, but then it also explores more esoteric ideas like manifestation of desires and such. Um, how do you balance the two? Oh, gosh. Yeah, in, in that regard, I am such a combo platter, right? I mean, maybe it comes from my DNA. My mom was an artist. And I talked earlier in the show about how my dad's a scientist. So I have this, like, you know, Ph.D. scientific dad, and I have this very creative, artistic mom. And also, my dad is very logical. My mom is very emotional. So there's all these different elements that kind of combine and maybe are in (laughs) a little bit of conflict, right, that I'm constantly working out inside of me. But what I think it also offers as a benefit is a much more holistic way of looking at things. 
I really tend to uh, be open to all ideas. I don't shut things down when I hear them. I am open to all possibilities. And I, I kind of figure, like, with things like, you know, mindfulness and yoga and complementary medicine, you know, if it's not going to hurt you, you might as well try it if you, if you want to give yourself time. And some things take five minutes, right? So it, I really don't have anything against just trying something. It was interesting. I was saying about the talk that I gave in front of my dad, somebody in the audience at the end, because I always leave time for questions and can you expand upon type conversation, somebody said, Catherine, would you do the muscle testing where you show everybody that, that you're stronger when you have a happy face on your solar plexus, which is your tummy, um, versus if you have an unhappy face and you're weak? And I looked at her, and she's a friend of mine, actually. She's from Sun Valley, and she was in Chicago at the talk. And I said, my dad's here. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> but, and it was really great because my mom was there, too. So maybe she gave me the, the energy to be able to stand up and do it. But it and it worked, meaning what I did is I put a smiley face, and I didn't show the, the um, volunteer what it was. I put a smiley face up to her solar plexus and then did um, kinesiology, which is where you test the muscle strength of the arm. And when she had the smiley face on, she was very strong, and then I put a negative face on there, and she was very weak. We also did that things like when she said her name correctly, she was strong, but when she claimed to be somebody that she wasn't, she was very weak, and so that has to do with are you congruent, you know, with yourself and with the universe. So, you know, to answer your question, I think I'm just really open to all things. I think there are so many different philosophies and practices that can offer us value, and if they're not going to harm us, you know, kind of like a doctor's oath of do no harm, um, then I think we should try them, and, and if, they're, if they work for you, then keep doing them. Absolutely. Now, we have another, um, another message coming in. This one was emailed in, and again, I want to thank everybody out there that takes the time. Some of these come in actually before the show, so... Uh, and people have said that they send these in right before the show because the show's in the middle of the day for them. They're working. They're not going to be able to call in. So they send this in. It allows us to ask it. And then they listen later on either through iTunes or Stitcher or just going directly to the website and uh, going to the archive. So again, thank you for taking the time. This one reads, uh, I loved the title of your book so much that I had to buy it this week for my daughter. Uh, a hardcore snowboarder. Uh, I am observing that my daughter's group of athletically inclined friends are greatly outnumbered by the couch potato crowd who more often than not fall into the obesity category, preferring chips and Coca-Cola to a healthy meal. Is your book for like-minded people like my daughter or is it one that would be best suited for the couch potato uh, to provide inspiration for change? Well, I'll, I'll start by saying that the differentiation point for the book really is that it uses snow sports, whether that's skiing or um, alpine skiing, Nordic skiing, or snowboarding as a metaphor to talk through a lot of things. So that's the differentiation point. There's a lot of wellness books out there. There's a lot of leadership books out there. And that's what makes this book different is that it has that differentiation point. So I think that, you know, it's really like a no-brainer. If you have somebody in your life that, um, that loves snow sports, they will probably really like um, this book because it's like, you know, you relate so much to something that you love. And really, I think, like you were talking about the couch potato versus the, you know, outdoor enthusiast, 
I think a lot of people really associate those times when they're out in the mountains, when they're on, you know, the the chair. I mean, that's happy time, right? That's, and I feel that way too. And the time that we, you know, we came back and we got out on the mountain and we went with the family and it's just that wonderful time of connection. Um, and so I think there's that wonderful association that people feel. So when, when you start reading about, you know, snow sports, it just is a happy thing. Um, that said, I would also say that for other folks, you know, that maybe aren't the outdoors enthusiast, enthusiast, it's a great book for a gentle, reminder in the right direction towards incorporating just a few things into your life. It doesn't beat people over the head about wellness, and, and it doesn't come across as you need to improve your wellness and so therefore read this, uh, this book. Like I think if somebody gave me a diet book for the holidays, I might be like, mm, thanks, or, or really? <laughs> um, but, you know, if somebody gave me yeah. this book, which, you know, is definitely you're going to finish the book with some better habits. You're going to probably be having breakfast every day. You're going to be reading ingredients. You're going to be eating a rainbow fruits and vegetables. You're going to be, you know, listening to your body. So there are definitely things that you will take from the book, but you never feel beat over the head. So if there's somebody in your life that you love that you would just like them in 2016 just to follow some better life habits, whether that's be more active or just be a little bit healthier, have more home-cooked meals, um, this might be a great um, gift for them because it won't beat them over the head, but it will, it will give them some advice I think that they will like. And, and Alan said it's also entertaining, and that's what I, I think is so fun. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I, I agree, and I think that, that this would not be the type of thing, you know, as you said, that would hurt somebody's feelings like, oh, well, they gave me a dieting book. What are they trying to tell me? No, it really is something that, that they would see as entertaining and, and motivational in the sense that, wow, this may get them to kind of get up and go do more things. And, and while I was reading that listener's question, the thought crossed my mind that um, my dad used to provide golf metaphors. He loved golf, so he provided golf metaphors. But that didn't mean that, uh, that he didn't also provide metaphors that weren't related to golf and that weren't equally as beneficial. So, you know, I'm not a golfer, but yet I, you know, I understood his golf metaphors as well as I understood his others. So, um, yeah, I, I think it would be good for, um, for in this case, um, both categories of people they're referring to. So... Thank you for that. Um, and I just looked up, and we're, we're starting to run a little short on time. One of the things that, that I saw was that you describe yourself as a recovering management consultant. Now, I, again, related to that, uh, only I'm not recovering yet, but I could probably use some. Uh, would you say that you have recovered? Uh, and, and what skills from those days did you bring to this project? Oh, gosh. Um, when, it, when I really talk about the recovering management side of me, that's the side that is constantly working on slowing down. I'm getting, I mean, I think that I, the idea of balance is, is, is certainly not a static thing. It is always dynamic. This minute you're in balance, you're out again. Then you go back in, then you go back out. Um, there are definitely lots of skills that I brought from management consulting to everything that I'm doing now, but I think really one of the one of the key things, and you were talking about who this book is for, one of the key things that I learned is, is how to overcome fear. And, and that's kind of an arc in a story. I mean, I was terrified when I first 
you know, when the, when the mountain opened and my husband could ski and, and my kids could ski and I was terrified. And, and you know, that, that's a common theme in all of our lives. I think some of us are even afraid to talk about fear itself. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that that is something I was constantly facing as a management consultant. Man, am I supposed to be solving this huge problem? How am I going to do it? Um, but that's a key thing in the book, and we were talking about who the book is for. You know, I recently got a note from somebody saying that the book helped them to overcome their fear of scuba diving. So you were talking about your dad and golf, and you know, this is about skiing, but it's really not. It's just a, it's a way of, of talking about bigger issues, whether that's wellness or whether that's creating um, a vision or manifesting your life or something like overcoming fear, which I think all of us are working on all the time. Yep, I certainly agree. So um, as we start to wind down, what's next for you? You know, I'm really enjoying my seminars and book talks and, and workshops. I want to do more of those. Um, I keep, if um, any folks are interested, on mountainmantras.com. I have a speaking tab, and I try to keep things updated about the, the places where I'm going. I'd love to get to Colorado, to Oregon. I'd love to get to California. So some travel, I think, is definitely on the horizon. Um, we talked about nurtureyourfamily.org. I also keep up healthykidsideas.com, which uh, is more for parents. So nurtureyourfamily.org is more for schools, and um, I mentioned that because the, the question was related to a, a PTA group. So that, that website, I, I'm still working on that, and healthykidsideas.com. So speaking, traveling, and yes, there is another book in the works. <laughs> well, I do hope that you will, um, you will stay in touch. Uh, I, I would love to have you back on. Uh, this has been wonderful. And, uh, and I think that was about four websites. I know that when I went and checked, there were four. Uh, so for everybody out there, for those of you, if you're driving or you can't write something down right now, uh, we will make sure and list all of them on our AnswersForTheFamily.com site. Uh, so you can go there. You can pull up any one of those. If you're a teacher, if you're a parent, if you just want to get the book because you know it's going to make a great Christmas present, whatever it is, go to the websites. Uh, and again, I know some of you are driving, so you can't, uh, but we will have them there for you. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and and also, I mean, uh, I'm going to go and check the one that has um, when the next speaking engagements are. But let me know if there's any coming to Southern California because I would love to attend. Oh, thank you, and I would love to come to Southern California. That sounds like a great win-win. Well, winter's a really good time to do that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Your winter, come to ours, and, you know, know, it's been about 70 degrees, so here. Wow. Okay, I'm a little jealous. Well, we'll we'll try to keep it uh, we'll try to keep it at that for you. So uh, let me know when that works. Again, uh, would love to to come to one of the uh, in person seminars. Well, thank you so much, and I look forward to being in touch. and And thanks everybody that's listening, and have a happy and healthy holiday season. And you too. And for everybody out there, please, uh, you know, feel free to um, you know go to our site. Uh, share with your friends. Uh, if you want to share this show, <clears throat> you know it'll be up in uh, just a couple of hours. You can go to the archives. Um, or the next time you're on Facebook or Twitter, please remember to stop by our page. And if you like us, click like us. 
for everybody out there, be good humans and be with us again next week on Answers for the Family. You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza right here on L.A. Talk Radio. 